want to think a little bit on some of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're just going to look at the beginning, just a few words here that launches Paul into the armor of God. It's some years ago we did study through the armor of, of God, but uh, we're not going to look through the whole thing this morning, just to glean a couple of thoughts this morning on that. Because given what we've been talking about, about the end times and what it's like to live in these last days and approaching those times, uh, not the last hour, but as we live in this, this time where the world is increasingly more rebellious as we see it launch headlong into rebellion against God in so many different, different ways, um, it is a time in which the people of God need courage. Uh, and that has been true. So just like every generation has believed Christ would come in their generation, so it is true that in every generation we as the people of God have needed courage uh, and strength to endure in those times, to have the armor of God before us. And so what I want to look at and just think for a few moments this morning is just these first introductory mar- remarks of Paul in regards to the armor of God, getting in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Dear God, indeed, as we come to you this morning, we come to seek you with a whole heart to learn your ways, your testimonies. We ask that you would teach us, encourage us, strengthen our hearts to live for you in a world which does not. Thank you and praise you in the name of our Savior. Amen. As Paul gets here to the end of his letter here, he launches into what is perhaps the most important practical aspect of his letter to the Ephesians, and that is how to live in these times. What have we got? How do we live in uh, a life for God in a world which is in wickedness and in the last days? What does that mean for us? And he runs through and gives us the armor of God, which we're not going to look at in detail this morning. But he gives us the armor of God here, which help us to endure, to live for him in the times when we desperately need it. Because we live in a world where the enemy wants to destroy us. The enemy is fiercely battling God, but his battle against God is a battle against the people of God. This battle, which we see, becomes increasingly intense as the years go by. As the ages pass, the intensity of this spiritual battle grows because our enemy knows that his doom is near. So in these end times, we know that we are under attack. Jesus told us in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. And that is indeed what the intent 
of God's enemy is in our lives, to steal from us, to kill, and to destroy. As we look in these words and we think about all the things we've been learning and gleaning about the last days over the past uh, several weeks, how do we live in these last days? What do we need and how can we, how can we endure in this time of trouble and endure the trouble that will come in so many different ways in this great spiritual battle? And that is, in part, what I want to look at this morning as we talk about putting on our armor, using what God has given us and getting into the fight. Begin by looking just here quickly at the beginning, and it says here as he begins in verse 10, Finally, my brethren... And when he says finally, it doesn't mean, oh, this is just the last thing on my mind. But actually, as he, he talks finally in my brethren, this is almost the, the penultimate part of his letter. That it is now that we have gone through all of this, and that's hard to say with Ephesians, because Ephesians is just, just full of very important things. But as he gets here, he says, finally, like, as the, the ultimate thing I need to tell you, as the thing that puts it all together about how to deal with this, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need to be strong and courageous in these last days as we see what's all going on around us and what God has intended before us. We need to be strong and and courageous. We are called here in these words and in other places to get in the battle. To be involved, to get in the battle, because there is truly a battle raging all around us. We are in the midst of a battle. There is a lot of talk about spiritual warfare these days, and a lot of the talk usually tends to two extremes. On the one end, we, we hear about how everything is the devil's fault and, and everything needs to be uh, put there and too much emphasis is placed on Satan and, and his influence in this world and everything comes down to that. And we have things built around that where there's this idea of spiritual mapping and determining which uh, beings run which continent and which places and there's... Uh, seeking out demonic powers and, and exorcism. And these all these things the Bible never tells us to get involved in or never tells us to do. And there's some aspect where there's that extreme, where everything is the devil's fault. And then on the other side, there are the believers who basically ignore the spiritual battle, who ignore Satan and wonder why we fail so often. Truth lies very much in the middle while we're not to be consumed with the spirit world, we must be aware. It must be something we pay attention to and that we are aware that we are in the midst of. So much takes place in this world which we are not aware of. Unbeknownst to us, often we end up playing a part in a cosmic battle. We move in the midst of this spiritual warfare. It is a battle, as we know, which began long, long ago. Exactly when, we, we do not know. But it began when a beautiful angel named Lucifer revolted against God. Beginning what would be a cosmic battle over the souls, now the souls of those that God would love and save. 
eternal battle of God over wickedness. My goal today is, and I don't think we need to even here this morning, to prove whether God or Satan exists. That's not what we need to do this morning, but rather to remind us or open our eyes to the war being waged all throughout our cosmos and beyond. This is a battle which for the people of God, for those that truly believe God and are his, this is not a battle to steal your salvation. That cannot be taken. So when Jesus says that he comes to steal, to kill and destroy For the believer, these do not have eternal significance in the sense that you will find yourself again under condemnation. Jesus, even in John 10, further down, and we've talked about this in the the previous weeks with God's preservation in our perseverance. Jesus reminds us, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So while this is not for the believer a battle which can steal your salvation, it is, however, a battle which can rob you of your joy of your salvation. It can rob you of the peace of God. It can rob you of your usefulness for God in a world which desperately needs it. Indeed, there is much to lose in this battle if we are not aware. So we are called to get in and fight. This is our call to arms. Call to arms that in the last days, as the world marches towards its end, We, as the people of God, are not called to sit by the wayside and look on, but to get in and battle, to arm ourselves to fight. We're reminded that we are in a battle. Paul uses this picture often. He's speaking to Timothy, uh, the young pastor that he trains and teaches. He tells him in 1 Timothy 1, he says, you need to wage a good warfare. As he ends that letter to Timothy in chapter 6, he will say, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. We need to keep this well and truly in our heads and before our eyes that we are in a fight, that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. Christian life, although sadly too many live it this way, is not a stroll through the lush green meadows. It's a battle in enemy territory. We live in enemy territory. We need to fight. We need to fight for the advancement of God's kingdom. We need to fight for the glory of God to be seen. We need to fight for the souls of the loved ones that we have. Fight to watch. When the Bible calls us to watch, which we talked about last week at the end of Luke 21, to watch, like we said, is is not to sit on the sidelines and look on, but to watch is to look for his coming by being actively engaged in the battle. Fighting for God's glory, fighting for the salvation of souls and the advancement of God's kingdom. 
pushing into Satan's domain, as it were. It's too easy to be happy and comfortable and afraid of what may be if I identify with God or serve God or witness for God or live for God, but we are soldiers. As the old hymn says, soldiers of Christ, arise. Put your armor on. We gather each and every Sunday when we gather and each and every Wednesday when we gather and every time we gather to study God's word together as a church, we gather to equip one another and to encourage one another because when we step out of these doors, we step into enemy territory. We step into the battle for the glory of God and the salvation of the lost. Why would we get involved in the battle? Because we love people. We care for souls. And we care for believers who need to be strengthened and encouraged in every battle. In every fight, there are soldiers who are strong and ready to the task. And then there are soldiers who are wearied by the battle. And they need strength and encouragement from those who still have fight in them. We fight to rescue the souls of the lost from eternal destruction. And what we've been reminded of over and over again as we've looked through Luke 21 and and beyond in, in other studies in these last few weeks is that in these last days, in this time, God is on our side. He is on our side, so be strong. God calls us to be strong in the face of overwhelming and powerful enemy. Luke reminds us in in Luke 21, Jesus reminds us there, he says not to be overwhelmed by the enemy and that God is always with us and not one hair of our head will be lost, but he will keep us. So we need to stand strong, to take ground, not retreat, not run from the battle, not run from what is there. Paul would remind us again in 1 Corinthians 16, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. This is the call to God's people. It's not about our own strength, but to be strong in the Lord. This is what Paul reminds us of in verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Trust him. Follow his lead. Rest in him. Take courage from the captain of our salvation. Reminds me of, of, uh, of Joshua. As he's about to stand, about to, to fight before Jericho. And as he stands there, it says, Joshua, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He is the commander of the army. He is our captain of our salvation. And he calls us to fight. And our response should be like Joshua's, what do you want from me? How do I serve? Be strong, Paul says, in God's power. Satan may be powerful, but God is all-powerful. 
We've been reminded uh, of that at the beginning of Ephesians when Paul writes in chapter 1 and verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Again, in Judges, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, if you know much about Gideon, for Gideon to be called a mighty man of valor doesn't make a lot of sense. He was often found hiding. So what makes a man like Gideon a mighty man of valor? The Lord was with him. That's what made him mighty. That's what made him strong and courageous. The Lord was with him. David reminds us in 1 Samuel, as he stands before Goliath, he says, the battle is the Lord's. With Christ, you have the power to fight. You have the power to live for God confidently and strongly in a world which does not. Be strong and of good courage, we're reminded in Deuteronomy, for the Lord goes before you and will be with you. So while we are called to be strong and courageous, in that being strong and courageous, we're also shown that we ought not to fear our enemy. Don't fear your enemy. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Be prepared to face your enemy. Now, while we look at what goes on in the battle, we know that the war is won. The war is already won. Yes, we are in the midst of a fierce battle, but the war has been won. We're going to sing a song again. We've sung it recently again, but we'll sing it again in a moment. A mighty fortress is our God, which has these wonderful words. His rage, that is the devil's rage, we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. He will rage and he will fight and he will oppose and oppress but he does so because he knows his end is very near. And that is what the cross was all about. The cross, Christ defeated Satan ultimately and wholly. He defeated sin and he defeated death. He defeated the devil. This is why it can tell us in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared in the the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. His rage, the rage of our enemy is the death throes of a conquered enemy. He knows he cannot win, but he will inflict as much damage as he possibly can on God and his people. But this is what Paul goes on to explain through the rest of this chapter, and that is that God equips us for the battle. We are equipped with the armor of God, and so much of the New Testament tells us about what God gives us and equips us to be in this battle. 
We have everything we need. No part of us is left exposed. No weakness is there that cannot be uh, covered or defended with what God has given us. He's given us everything we need to do battle, to serve his eternal purpose in this world. And so we do need to know our enemy. We need to know who we battle. Look here, three things that Satan is and three things that Satan is not. Three things that Satan is. These are things we need to know and understand. One, he is brilliant and powerful. Satan is a brilliant and powerful enemy. Don't think too highly of ourselves that we can outwit him or outsmart him or outbattle him. We often think far too highly of ourselves in this manner. Nevertheless, Satan and his demons aren't weak, pathetic, or dumb beings. From what we know from the scriptures, we know this of Satan. Before he fell as, uh, and as Lucifer, he was the chief angel of God. Beautiful, brilliant, intelligent, probably wiser and more spiritually sensitive than any one of us. He is no fool. He is not easily tricked or fooled. In fact, he was able to convince Adam and Eve to rebel against God. He said, well, that was a long time ago. Adam and Eve were not gullible and stupid people. Every day, God himself walked with them. And met with them every day. And in an environment where every day they met with God, Satan was cunning enough to deceive them to rebel. He is not a weak enemy. In fact, when you read through to the end and you see how it it all comes to an end in Revelation chapter 12, and we see the final battle throws of what goes on when God finally comes to cast Satan from his his access into heaven and cast him down to earth and then into uh, judgment for eternity. He doesn't just send anybody to do that. He sends his most powerful warrior, Michael, to do the job. He is brilliant and powerful. Secondly, he is determined and dangerous. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is a hunter, and he doesn't give up. He's persistent, determined. His determination has nothing to do with you. Oh, he is determined to ruin you. But his determination to ruin you is really about his determination to punish God. To rebel against God, to ruin God's plan. Peter knew this from experience. Jesus warned him. We'll see this as we we come later. That Satan desired to have him that he might sift him like wheat. If you are serving God, Satan will be hunting you. There is nothing more certain. 
as you serve God, he will be proud. He is brilliant and powerful. He is determined and dangerous. And thirdly, of the things that he is, he is cunning. He is cunning. He knows how to take advantage of our weaknesses and our sins. In chapter 4 and verse 27 of Ephesians, it says, Nor give place to the devil. This is, Don't give him any room. Because he knows how to use it. He knows how to take advantage of our own weaknesses, of our own openings. His, uh, his attacks and his temptations are not purposeless or random, but rather wise, focused, and prepared. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows where your temptations lie. Because he watches and he sees. But God prepares us for this. God prepares us for this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. We know what his plans are because God has revealed it to us within Scripture. So we know him. These are three things that Satan is. He is brilliant and powerful. He is determined and dangerous, and he is cunning. But three things that he is not. Three important things that he is not. We need to have, make sure we have him in the right perspective. One, he is not equal to God. He is not equal to God. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. Satan does not know and cannot read your thoughts. He cannot see what you're going to do in the future and predict what you're going to do. He is not all-knowing like God is all-knowing. He is not omnipresent. So Satan cannot be here tempting me and in Asia tempting somebody else at the same time. He can only be in one place at one time. He is not omnipresent. In fact, in the Bible, there are only a handful of times where the Bible specifically says that Satan is the one responsible for the attacks on someone. Satan is powerful, but he is not God. Secondly, he is not equal to God. Secondly, he is not in control. God is in control. Again, when I referred to Luke 22 with, with Peter and how Satan wanted to, to tempt and pull Peter away, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Satan has come to me and he's asked for you, Peter. He says, but I prayed for you and your faith. And what happens when Jesus prays? When Jesus prays, the Father answers. Without question. Because he always prays for the will of the Father. Reminded of Job. Beginning of Job shows us a little of God's interaction with Satan. And Satan is allowed to tempt Job but only inside what God allows. He is not in control. God is. Thirdly, he isn't the ultimate cause of your sin. 
It's an old saying. I don't even know if anybody uses it much anymore, but it used to go around a lot. The devil made me do it. It was an easy way to pass off what we didn't think uh, we should be held responsible for. The devil made me do it. But the reality is the devil is not responsible for the ultimate cause of your sin. James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 14, but each of you one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Much of our issues with sin are not because we are tempted by Satan, but because we give in to our own sin nature. Uh, you can and will be tempted by Satan and his demons, that is for sure. Which is why we're told, don't give place to the devil. Be on guard about what he does because he will take what you have and he will expose that. He will draw those out to make them more appealing. But when you give in and when you sin, it's not because the devil made you do it. It's because you wanted to do it. So, we are to be strong and courageous we're not to fear our enemy. Finally, fight valiantly. Fight valiantly. The battle is not easy. It is a spiritual battle. You'll notice that in these few verses here, which we just read from verse 10 to verse 13 in uh, Ephesians 6, that it begins with some important things. It begins in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And he bookends this instruction with the same thing in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Word whole, we, we, we sing it uh, sometimes using the word panoply. That's what it means. It means whole, all, the complete armor of God. It's important. You need this. You can't live and serve Christ without it because the battle isn't against people. You know, when we sung just a moment ago in O Church Arise, it says that we're to rage against the captor but love the captive soul. The enemy are not the people but beyond that. The battle isn't against people. The battle is in the spiritual realms. They're being used and abused. And if we refuse to suit up with the armor, we don't take up the whole armor of God, we will be useless in this life. So take up the whole armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because the time to fight is now, not later. It doesn't matter what age you are now, whether you're young, a teenager, or whether you're older or, or in the middle somewhere. It doesn't matter where you're at. The time to fight is now. But we're told here in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand. When is the evil day? Chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
The evil days are now. This is the last days. We are living in the last days. It is time to fight. Rest will come. But that's what eternity is. That's what heaven will be. Rest. Right now, the enemy is actively seeking to destroy. That's not the time to look for rest. It's the time to battle. It is our duty to fight to take ground. And we do that by, by preaching the gospel. We do that by, by witnessing and by, by living for Jesus Christ and by serving him and by serving the people of God. We do it by bringing glory to God in all things. We need to use this life wisely to walk in the spirit and to stand strong. These last days, we must be remembered that Christianity isn't just about morality or compassion for the weak. It's not about trying to do good to please God. It's not even ultimately about what we can see. Christianity is firstly supernatural. We must believe, we must remember that we live in a supernatural world. And in this, this world, we, we must live it with supernatural power. With the power of God. We come to church and we gather to be strengthened to the fight. To be encouraged to fight. Equipped to fight. We witness to those around us because souls of men are in real danger. Eternal danger. We follow Christ, our captain, because he is the only way that we can stand in the fight. You are a soldier in a real and a really dangerous battle with eternal significance. It's time to stand and fight. To fight for those we love. To not give up. To fight in a battle which is bigger than we are far more significant than we imagine, and one in which we cannot, must not, sit on the side. We must stand and fight, preach Christ, serve Christ, live for Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word at times it is a balm to soothe our souls, and at times it is a fire to ignite our souls. Dear God, in many ways, this is both. For it reminds us that we're in a battle, and it encourages and charges us to stand up and fight. But gives us the reassurance that it is not in our own strength that we must fight, but in yours. We are reminded, dear God, that as we live in these last days, we are in a spiritual battle. And we need to fight to not give up and to not sit by the sidelines, but to give ourselves in your service. For in due time, we will find the rest that you promise. Help us, dear God, to make advance for your kingdom in this world. 
shine the torches of your word, to use the sword of your word to reach others. That indeed, dear God, the grip that Satan has on many around us would be lost. And Lord, that he would not steal from us our joy or our peace or our usefulness, that he would not rob from us or ruin, but rather we would fight valiantly with your strength and suited in your armor. Thank you. Praise you in the name of Jesus, captain of our salvation. Amen.